and uh, welcome back, everyone, to another edition of Going for Two, presented by Home Field Apparel. I am your host. I am the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter. My name is Matt Brown. I am joined by my D1 ticker colleague, Brian Fisher. Um, Brian, it has been an immensely eventful past couple of days. Uh, did, did you did you have a good Thanksgiving? Did you were you able to re- get any kind of rest at all, given how much you were on the road and how much your cardiovascular system was taxed by the United States men's soccer team? Well, yeah, the, I think the the soccer team and for sure definitely uh, kept the heart rate up uh, quite a bit. But uh, ha- happy to see the the U.S. men's national team advancing to the knockout round. We'll we'll yeah. we'll, uh, we'll we'll talk about the Netherlands uh, on another podcast. But yeah, it was a, a jam packed weekend. I mean, you talk about uh, you know I, I obviously work for for Fox as well, and uh, great day for the company. I mean, you, you talk about Thursday and all that went into that that Cowboys game, and a lot of people were watching that. It, it was great to sit down, eat some ham. I'm, I'm more of a ham guy for, for Thanksgiving. Yeah. I, I do like the turkey. No, don't get me wrong. But love, love getting some some good uh, honey baked ham there on Thanksgiving, and then yeah, I was straight off to uh, first Cincinnati and Tulane, uh, which was was an interesting game in retrospect, not just for for the Green Wave uh, quenching the AAC uh, title game to, to host it there in New Orleans, which was a huge moment for the program. But uh, all the events that came after that, and then uh, then into the big game on Saturday, it was a wild weekend and, and a very good Thanksgiving, even though uh, the amount of shut eye that I got was uh, uh, probably measured on the single digit scale at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know that John Rothstein likes to say that we sleep in May. I don't know when exactly we get to sleep. Hopefully, hopefully that's soon. You know, for for you as the season's wrapping up. Like I was, it, it, to- it is not. Let me tell you, I looked at my my calendar in terms of the, the flights and all this stuff. We we get a bunch of stuff. We'll, we'll be in Vegas next week for the uh, SPGIF forum. Yep. So a uh, lot lot going on on the calendar. And let me tell you, it, it, it never stops. It never. Stops. There, no. There's like a there's like that one one week gap uh, where, where Christmas happens, and, and that's about it. But uh, otherwise, we are go go go. I was trying to like. I had a running Google Doc of things I really wanted to talk to you about that have just happened over like the last five days. Um, to the point, it's so busy. We're like, I mean, I, I want to talk about Tulane, but I, I don't. I, I don't even think we're going to have time right now. Um, let's let's just jump right in to the biggest possible brands, the biggest event of that Saturday. Which, if I'm to understand the Fox press releases correctly, roughly four billion people watched. My beloved alma mater, the world famous Ohio State Buckeyes get the absolute stuffing kicked out of them for the second consecutive year against Michigan. The first year, uh, and I, of course I'm looking at this slightly biased, right, as, as a son of Columbus. The first year that Michigan won, they dominated the trenches. But if you squinted, you could come up with a couple of potential explanations, right? Ohio State's dominated this series for nine, ten years. And uh, with, with, with turnover within players and coaches, they, they didn't take Michigan as seriously. The weather was atrocious. C.J. Stroud and multiple other starters were sick. Um, these the defense was happened. bad all year. We, we, the we defense was also let's, that's, that's also true. Defense was bad all year. So you can look at that and say, okay, all right, perfect storm. But this year, right? This year, this is going to be the focus of the entire program. You're going to have the score broadcast in the in the room. You're going to go hire a vegan grandpa, Jim Knowles, to come in here and restore the defense specifically for this particular game. And not only did Ohio State lose, but I think in what is maybe even more emotionally distressing to people who are invested in Ohio State football, they lost by being out Ohio Stated, right? The, the, the core DNA the historical DNA of the Ohio State football program is about toughness, right? It's about coaching in short sleeves when it's nine degrees outside and physically imposing your will on somebody. And the first time, Michigan did that and Ohio State didn't. And then this time, 
uh, Ohio State's program now, while not untough, is is fundamentally built on explosive plays and 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 being the right. We talked about before the the team that that that's built to win an F one race, not a tractor pull. And then Michigan beat them by you know picking up four touchdowns of explosive plays, uh, even though Ohio State controlled the run the run of play there a little bit. And with dust settles, it's a blowout. So I wrote earlier this week, and and you you wrote something that that didn't completely refute everything that I said earlier. Like from my diseased perspective, as as a graduate of this school and someone who still cheers for the program, um, it is difficult for me to see a scenario where. Ohio State re- re- regains its previous position without making some enormous changes. And I also recognize that on one hand, it is insane to say this because Ryan Day is 45 and five, has never lost to a Big Ten team that isn't Michigan, has blown out most everybody else, won every game this year by double digits, and is um, still recruiting at an elite level. And yet, the vibes are off with Ohio State football. And now, as I kind of look into the season, Michigan. It's going to be your preseason. No, I, no, matter, no matter what happens in the transfer portal, they're going to be the preseason favorite to win the conference next year. Penn State might very well be the preseason team to finish second over Ohio State. Michigan has now um, uh, you know, picked up a couple of in-state commitments to Ohio from from Ohio State. Here, I mean, they weren't five-star guys, but um, you, there, there's the word around the campfire is that you know that recruiting in that part of the country is not going as well. Honest, how panicked do you think it is rational to be? from somebody who at one time had an osu.edu email address in their lives. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think there's there's panic just because of the expectations there at Ohio State. Yeah, yeah I, I think that, that contributes so much of it. As, as you mentioned, Ryan Day, 45 and 5. I mean, how, how many schools right now would, would just kill for, for for a coach with that kind of record at their school? You know, he's, yeah, he's all taking, but like three. Taking them to a national title game, you know, and yes, they were blown out in the COVID year by Alabama. That, that was a team that you kind of felt was maybe ahead of schedule, you know, and, yeah. and then, you know, last year it was what it was. It was still a very good, very good team. I think overall we got to see him even fight through the adversity there in that Rose Bowl, even down a, a bunch of guys. You could see just the talent overall. And, you yeah. know, let's face it, you know, this was a, a mega matchup uh, between a fellow undefeated and uh, they didn't come through. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to see after the fact. Now, I, I, I wrote a, a column on, on Ryan Day feeling the heat from from this win or from this loss, you know, and, and just the pressure to win this game. You know, I, I, I know everybody's going to bring up John Cooper understandably, given the Ohio State-Michigan connections. I, I, I kind of wrote that, you know, the question's not so much about about that. It's more about maybe there's this this creeping sense amongst, especially the Ohio State f- fan base, not necessarily everybody else, but, you know, is, is this maybe more of a, a Larry Coker type of situation? Is this more of a, a Mark Helfrich w- with better hair? Um, you know, like... That is that is the, I think the, the the question that is now creeping in every Ohio State fan's mind um, because the, the ship itself. I, I mean, when you when you talk about good jobs, Ohio State is like right at at near the top of the list. If, it, if it's I, not I, number I think, one, I, I think it is the best job. It, the expectations are absolutely insane. But when you when you factor in where you get to live and how much money you get to make and your recruiting footprint and your resources and your ability to win a national championship and the fact that this program is never bad. That, that's the like other for, thing for my money. You look yeah. at look at Oklahoma right now, right? You know, like the, they had the John Blake era. We, we obviously get six and six this year. You know, like the Oklahoma has had some dips. That's a very historically one of, one of the best programs. Obviously, Texas, everybody talks about that job, you know, and, yeah. and you look at the struggles. So is, is Texas back pretty much on, on a regular clockwork basis that you're asking that question? Even USC, obviously, they've had their ups and their downs. Um, you know, Alabama 
pre Nick Saban, they they're very much up and down, up and down, up and down. Um, you know, like they're most of the programs are, are going to hit that trough at, at some point. Ohio State has not, and and I think that is a testament to just how good of a job it is, how the resources there, really how the entire kind of state pulls together for that program. That you know, just the talent advantage that you tend to have over the rest of your conference is, is a big reason why you can kind of skate into essentially a two-game season uh, when, when you're talking about the Michigan game and you're talking about that Big Ten championship. But the problem for Ryan Day is that he's now 0-2 against Michigan. and you know, well, it, One it, and two. One, one and two. You're, excuse me, you're right. Uh, one and two. And, and and the problem is, you know, this is very similar to kind of how it was about Jim Harbaugh uh, back when he started his career. Yes, there was that that controversial spot, which I think everybody kind of gave him a bit of a break for uh, back in, in 2016. But like, Outside of that, you know, there it, it was just such a lopsided record that that contributed to the pressure that we saw a couple of years ago when he had to take the pay cut, when he had to talk with Ward Manuel about bringing him back. Like the, a lot of the conversation around that was, listen, if, Jim, if, if, if you can't beat Ohio State, then then what are we doing here? You know, and, and I think that the conversation now has now shifted over to Ryan Day. And ultimately, what are you going to do? Last year is bringing Jim Knowles. Yes, the defense got better, but giving up those explosive plays like that, you know, just really being out-toughed uh, by a Michigan team that was down their best player in Blake Corum, um, you know, really had defensive issues, uh, you know, across the across the board. You know, a lot of their guys were hurt. Um, they were playing yeah. backup. So, like, that is a that is the the kind of red alarm that, that I think is, is kind of going off in the minds of a lot of Ohio State fans. Not just the, allowing those explosive plays, but the manner that they did it, the, the, the who they did it to uh, against a team they, they should have been favored – pretty heavily, uh, you know, against given, given the circumstances and uh, to, to get blown out like that. I, I think that just contributes to kind of the, the psyche as, as you wrote so, so well about on, on Sunday. It's interesting that you mentioned Coker and Helfrich and some of those other cases. To be fair, Coker won a national title. Yeah. Um, things kind of fell apart very quickly from there. Hel- Helfrich, I think is interesting. The, the, the Cooper comparisons are more than just, he didn't do well against Michigan. And in and, and, and Day's defense, Cooper lost to some pretty crappy Michigan teams, or at least some very average ones when he had overwhelmingly superior talent. The two Michigan teams that beat Ohio State uh, the last two years are elite Michigan teams. They're the best Michigan teams that have existed since 97, some of the best that have happened in my entire lifetime. Um, the thing that was interesting about Cooper, one, unlike most other people that uh, coach Ohio State, He's not from Ohio. Cooper's from, he was born in Tennessee. He had coached at Arizona State. He had coached at Tulsa. He had had ties. He went to Iowa State. He wasn't part of this world. I, I want to say, I'm double checking this. Not, yeah, never even coached in the Big Ten beforehand. His great innovation when he came to Columbus was really embracing the idea of recruiting nationally, which which people kind of forget, even in the, the mid-90s, was not the uniform standard for elite programs that, that it is now, right? So some of Ohio State's best players came from like Arizona uh, and, and came from places outside of Ohio uh, during that run. And the the level of like high-end talent acquisition and the people that went to the NFL from Ohio State from like 95 to 99 compared to where they were during the Earl Bruce era before, very significant. Um, but that was always some of the, 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 the criticism that we always heard growing up was – this guy doesn't really understand how important this game is. He doesn't really understand our culture and is producing a team that is very talented, but not tough. Talented, but not a team. Now, some of that is, is a crutch and a narrative and a cliche. And, and you know, Cooper's in the Hall of Fame for a reason. He was a really, really good college football coach. But um, Ohio State, 
had the, one of the best college offensive linemen ever, some of the best college wide receivers ever, some of the best defenders ever, and, and never had a championship to show for it, and only like one or two Big Ten, Big Ten titles. So there's, there's a reason why you're seeing – like that, that is not a name that elicits warm feelings. Um, where, where I grew up, despite the fact that he achieved at an elite level for, for, for a long time, given there's, there's, there's some other weird kind of context happening here. I, that have, I, I think over the last 72 hours that are worth considering in Columbus. Number one, Luke Fickle just took the Wisconsin job. This is the guy that is what, you know, was message board candidate one, two, and three. Uh, assuming that Mike Verbell not going to leave the Tennessee Titans to come back or something. Right. So, so now you know that be, not only does that become more difficult to get him to Columbus, you now have to face it. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, in, in, in the very near future, and I, everyone associated with Ohio State football respects what Fickle's been able to do with recruitment and, and more importantly, talent development and culture building. The Wisconsin did not scare anybody for a long time; they will scare people uh, now. Ohio State's president just announced that she is resigning. Um, and we're working on trying to at least I'm trying to figure out a little bit more about why exactly. If, if you're resigning due to uh, complaints or an investigation, but you don't have to vacate the building tomorrow. How serious were, were those things? But uh, there's a possibility of other significant administrative change happening um, in Columbus. You also have, hey, Gene Smith's probably not going to be there forever. And Day is somebody that, if he wanted to, produces the kind of football that would attract interest from the NFL. So if there's these other changes happening, you're you're tired of being heckled when you go into Kroger. Um, your recruiting landscape's changing a, a little bit here. I am not saying this is going to happen. I do not have any inside information. I live in Chicago. I'm not an Ohio State beat writer. But like that doesn't seem like a complete crazy person fever dream to think like maybe this you know maybe maybe day isn't going to be here for eight years, right? And 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 perhaps uh, look at opportunities where. You don't get yelled at at the grocery store uh, for only winning 93% of your games, you know? Well, I, I think there's always been the thought that of the kind of e- e- elite yeah. coaches in, in college football, yes, Lincoln Riley would be one that, that would consider jumping to the NFL at some point, and Ryan Day would be the other. And uh, you can understand why if you're an NFL owner, despite the issues, I, I think, of hiring college coaches that we've seen between Matt Rule, between Urban Meyer recently, I, I think that has kind of cast a little bit of doubt in terms of non-NFL guys, you know, really uh, taking those jobs and, and, and moving forward, especially in potential rebuilding situations. Um, but, but at the end of the day, you can understand, hey, he, he might be attractive uh, to, to make that jump up and maybe he's not long for the Ohio State life as good a job as it is. I, I think really what, what compounded everything is, is just kind of the manner that they lost on, on, on Saturday. You know, you go back to that yeah. punt decision, you know, when when a lot of the crowd, they were they were fired up to go for it. CJ Stroud still talked to him about it after the game was was all about like, hey, we were ready to go. We wanted to do it. And he ended up punting. I, I think that contributed to things. They started, you know, four, four. It was supposed to be a fake, too. I mean, they go to the wrong guy and the whole yeah. Yeah, and there's there's would, a whole it would have been a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. there was so, a lot. So you you throw in that you you, you start out the game four four converting on third down. You don't convert you convert one more the rest of the game and, and not until late in the second half. Like the 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 things that Ohio State's supposed to be doing good about under Ryan Day, you know, they they really didn't do in that that second half. And you know, to be honest, you know, sitting there at halftime, I was kind of thinking, well, maybe the, this this could end up being a runaway. You know, as tough as Michigan had been, you know, they were really only a couple of plays away from kind of getting routed, and uh, a lot of them were self inflicted on Ohio State's part. And then um, you know, the the third quarter just kind of it just kind of washed over them, and um, you know, it just uh, snowballed from from there. And I, I think that kind of helped contribute to to I, I think the 
fan angst. It's just, you know, yeah. not just where you're blown out by your rival, um, you know, who came in there and out toughed you, but goodness, you know, like there were, there were a lot of decisions that you can kind of go back and point to and they go all the way back to the head coach. Yep. That's that. That's, that's exactly it. And it's not like the vibes weren't off with this Ohio state team. I think the weeks leading up to this too, the cornerback play was a question mark the entire season. Ohio State never really got healthy. Michigan absolutely banged up here, but I mean, people are forgetting Ohio State was giving linebackers multiple carries. Literally, literally everybody's everybody's looking at. Wait, wait a minute, why, why is the linebacker the primary running back here? You know, we, we, that was that was a press yeah, conversation like, for sure. Fourth or fifth string guys were, were were getting carries there. They were beat up on the offensive line. They were beat up. I mean, you had your best linebacker playing with two broken hands. Like and so, but but that's football. That's that that's what happens here. Um, I am. Um, I've calmed down a little bit about it, but I, 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 for the first time in, in, since the end of the urban Meyer era, really, I look at this and think like, I do not feel confident in the current regime. And, 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 and the, 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 the one positive thing for Ohio State, like you mentioned, highest floor of any program in college football. So if you, if you, if you, if any kind of coach comes in there with just a little bit of wins above replacement, you're going to win 11 games. Well, and, like you, and the, the funny thing is we, we've, we've been talking about this for, for like nearly 20 minutes now. And, and a lot of it goes into like, hey, they're they're actually just kind of one USC getting upset by Utah, you know, loss away from being buried back in the college football playoff. And yeah, let's face nobody it, wants they, that. When they get into the, the four-teamer, you know what? They, they have enough talent to win it all. And and that would be such a, a an interesting uh, conversation with you in particular, but but others mm-hmm. as well. If they were to end up winning the national title because they, they have the quarterback, they have some of the wide receivers, but they got healthy after a month. Who knows, especially given how closely bunched those top four teams are this year. Uh, you know, imagine winning the national title, but losing to Michigan. That that would have been that was an interesting conversation that, that I think a few people have had. But as, as much of a pipe dream as it seems, it, it's not. You know, we're, we're one upset away from from it possibly happening. So it, it is yeah. funny to kind of digest all of the angst coming around Colum- coming out of Columbus and, and, and in, in that city when I was in there the weekend. And uh, hey, you, you guys might end up making the playoff either way. Talk, talk to me about that if it happens and, and that I, I can delete some tweets. But speaking of angst and speaking of other high profile programs, Brian, what do you think about Auburn? Uh, they are a immensely talented program that can win a national title as easily as they can go four and eight. Brian, what do you think about the, the Auburn's most recent hire as head football coach? Uh, a very interesting experience. Uh, you know, I, I think- you, you you can be honest on this show. You can say how you truly feel if you would like. Oh, I mean, if look, you, we, yeah. we've been pointed in the direction of Hugh Freeze for a while now. I, I think when when as soon as Auburn came open and, and the signs pointed back, you know, really last off season in terms of this job coming open and pretty much from the get go, every pretty much every list kind of had Lane Kiffin, Hugh Freeze, yep. one two, right? Okay, and, and I think that was pretty much how the search went. Lane said no. Here we go. We're going on to Hugh Freeze now. Do you, you you can believe what you want in terms of the background checks and everything that that you know Auburn looking into Hugh and all the background and all that. But uh, the bottom line is, you know, he he was basically a shoe in for for this gig. Um, you know, he he wanted to come back to the SEC. He made no secret of that. I know there was no. all the talk about hey, he signed an extension at Liberty. Well, um, you know, that's just a, a a few other dollars going back the the uh, you know the the other way to that that university. You know, that that's all that was. You know, this was a job that I, I think he covered because he knew what the resources were, you know, especially in the NIL era, and and the fact that he he gives Nick Saban fits, and uh, now he's going to give Nick Saban fits every single year um, from one of the biggest rivals of Alabama. So, um, from a football perspective, I, I think it, it it makes sense in taking stripping away everything else that that goes on just from a footballing perspective. I think it makes sense. 
Um, it, it's going to be a fascinating experience given the SEC West and how difficult that road is going to be continued, uh, even though they might eliminate di- divisions and whatnot. Uh, you know, I, I, I just everything that goes around Hugh Freeze, though, is, is a circus. And um, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how Auburn can kind of clamp down on that, because this is a place that when we talk about alignment, there, there really has not been much alignment. And uh, you, you add a we'll just say combustible type of head coach in, in Hugh Freeze uh, to the mix. I, I think it's going to be a very fascinating experience on the plains these next couple of years. It will certainly not be boring. No. I have thought about this for a while. I was debating whether I wanted to write it out. My, my, my buddy and old editor, Jason Kirk, former SB Nation guy, uh, wrote what I thought was a really thoughtful piece called Shame uh, on, on his newsletter about this. I... I, w- I want to get to the low-hanging fruit in a second, but I want to the, I want to talk about this a little bit just from a football perspective because I understand why an Auburn booster or somebody um, whose biggest priority is just beating Alabama would be very excited about this hire because you're right. Hugh Freeze has had more success against Nick Saban than almost anybody else that has played him regularly. Um, that being said, there's a few other things to consider to just, it. Even, just a few. Just, just a few. Let's just talk. Let's just talk ball here for a second. Right. Hugh Freeze was the football coach at Ole Miss for five seasons. He came in and inherited a program that was in complete disarray and was able to rebuild the roster relatively quickly, uh, spurred in part by Ole Miss recruiting substantially above the level that it historically did um, and leading the program to make a peach bowl and a sugar bowl. Some of the, the, the high, most successful uh, levels that Ole Miss had been in a while. Did Ole Miss ever win a division? No. Did Ole Miss come especially close to winning a division? Just happened once. Um, did Hugh Freeze have an above 500 record in the SEC as a, as a coach? No. Um, because even though he was able to beat Nick Saban twice, one of those, that we got to be honest, was hilariously fluky, involving long touchdowns that bounced off two different helmets. These kind of things happen. He also is 500 against kind of middling Arkansas teams. He was somebody that lost two squads that had inferior talent. He is somebody who comes from the offensive lineage of Gus Malzahn. And we know what Auburn fans thought of that experience up on the field, right? Um, up and down. At Liberty, uh, you know, they, they had won eight games every single year. They won three different bowl games. And we, we should give you know, freeze credit for developing a roster and and a school that you know does not normally do this produced a few NFL draft picks. That being said, they also played one of the most putrid schedules all four of those years every single time. Uh, the one time that they achieved any any kind of national recognition of note was during the COVID year, which didn't really count for for a lot of other reasons. And the last two weeks lost to UConn and got absolutely their ass kicked, ass kicked by a bad New Mexico State team. I saw David Hale at ESPN like showed a graphic of like, here's what happened to all of the other coaches who have lost by 28 or more points to New Mexico State. Um, their careers ended within like eight games of every other coach. And then here's Hugh Freeze who goes to Auburn. The One of the major concerns that I have just on the field, not related to scandal exactly about this particular decision is that you are going into a place that has is an exceptional pressure cooker and a place that we have joked about euphemistically, and, and man, maybe you can do this a little bit less euphemistically, um, has a, uh, a really fractured and engaged and over-meddling booster community. One of the things I think even Hugh Freeze's defenders would say, and if, if they wouldn't admit this and they're, they're being completely hypocritical, is the man does not have great impulse control. He's not especially mature. 
This dude, more than any other coach in college football, will name search his name on Twitter at one o'clock in the morning and DM you passive aggressively complaining about your criticism. And then after you respond, say he'll pray for you. That's not a joke. I don't know if it's happened to you. It has happened to me. It has happened to many of my colleagues. He does this. Nick Saban does not do this shit. Nick Saban doesn't even know how to work Twitter. Like the, the fact that there were there were rumors or that people people had to actually ask in this press conference if he's lost his Twitter privileges is because this is somebody who pathologically craves attention and craves validation and is a notoriously thin skinned. And even if you did not have, let's say, impulse control problems in other aspects of your life, that's a very bad combination coming into a place like Auburn. So all of those things here, I would say I have some concerns. But holy shit, there's a bunch of other stuff that has nothing to do with football. And I, I, I you for, forgive me here, like even a couple of days later, I'm still like legitimately angry about it. Let's roll back the roll the tape here just very briefly. The, of course, the, 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 the thing that everyone's going to talk about with Hugh Freeze is that Hugh Freeze, while being one of the most publicly sanctimonious uh, and, and performatively religious individuals uh, as the head coach of a major football program, uh, was brought down not from NCAA scandal, which he probably should have been. Um, and even though Ole Miss uh, you know, lied about how uh, his involvement in some of those scandals, he was brought down because he paid for sex on university phones. Now, that makes Hugh Freeze a bad husband. That makes Hugh Freeze a, a, a bad steward of university technological resources, but it doesn't necessarily make him a bad football coach. And I understand why uh, some of our colleagues in the media have said, like, they're, they're, we we, we got to stop being Puritans about this. We already know that there's no character bar or anything here for college football. Like, we, we, we you, you got to get over it. Um as a fellow religious person, I'm a little it, it's a little bit harder for me to get over it, given the rest of the Hugh Freeze, Jimmy Swagger performativeness like that bothers me on more than just a college football level. But it's true. Hugh Freeze is going into a league with both Steve Sarkeesian and Lane Kiffin. And we both know that those two people are not like Gregorian monks. And and you can you can you can be a good college football coach and have impulse control issues, perhaps in other ways. Right. But not only that. Um, at Liberty, he goes and he DMs multiple times unsolicited a woman who was, who was uh, criticizing the university over uh, how they investigated sexual abuse allegations. Um, and then during the background check search, uh, Miss uh, Auburn did not reach out to this individual. And like that is an inexcusable uh, uh, use of university power and speaks to that poor impulse control. There's a long list of pretty shady uh, gross things that have been tied to Hugh Freeze when he was in high when he was a high school coach. Um, things that uh, for a university family uh, that that famously prides itself on being pro family, pro traditional values, the whole Auburn creed. None of that stuff would line up to it. This is not the first time a university has showed its entire ass over the idea here of we want our coaches to be exceptional molders of young men. That we stand for something else here other than uh, just winning football games. But what is bothering me so significantly about this is that I think this is one of the most flagrant cases of it. And it's one where powerful people have uh, you know, blanketed themselves in religion to excuse some pretty gross things that they've done. So I don't want to hear about Auburn family. I don't want to hear about traditional values. I don't want to hear about integrity or doing things the right way. You've just decided that, you know, you. I, I think Auburn has pretty clearly communicated uh, what it thinks about women, 
what it thinks about uh, the university or athletic department's obligation for sexual assault victims, what it thinks about propriety, and why and how where that lands on the important scale relative to beating Alabama. And that's a decision you can make. But by God, I don't want to co-sign it, and I don't want to be somebody in this business and shrug that off because I assume that you're going to be immoral. To me, if you're going to do those kind of things here, if I can't get viscerally upset about it, I'm not in the right business anymore. Well, you're not you're not alone, and and that includes a, a number of members of that Auburn family, as as you just referred to. I mean, I, I think it's it's important to keep in mind that this this search, given everything that was going on, obviously you have an AD, new AD coming in that was uh, you know from an SEC West rival. Um, you know, this this was not a cohesive search. Usually, you kind of get a, a kumbaya type of moment amongst yeah. the fan base, some excitement. You know, it's like you you moved on from a coach that you know. Let's face it, no nobody was really kind of behind. There was issues on the field. There was issues off the field. I think if anything, you know, maybe a little bit of that. Of of that goodwill was kind of brought back a little bit with, with uh, Cadillac Williams being the, the head coach, the interim head coach the last couple of games and just kind of the fight the team fought, saw that, that kind of yeah. united guys and, 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 and gals in, in the fan base. And that's kind of been dissipated a little bit with this hire because of those reasons that, that, that you just uh, eloquently uh, described right there. And um, you know, even, even beyond the scene, behind the scenes, you know, I, I don't think this was a search that necessarily, you know, got everybody excited about landing Hugh Freeze and, I think that yeah. speaks a little bit to the market. You know, frankly, the SEC loves them some SEC. And, um, you know, they, they value that experience in the league, which you can kind of understand. The outsiders, like like their previous head coach at Auburn, have struggled at times, you know, just in terms of the recruiting environment and how competitive yeah. you have to be. Hugh Freeze is extremely competitive on the recruiting front, which you have to be, you know. And, and I think a lot of that is, is going to, you know, kind of play into the fact that, hey, we, we needed an SEC guy. Obviously, he has that experience in the league. And this was a, a search that valued football above all else. It was not about, uh, as, as you mentioned, developing the young men. It was not about uh, making sure that uh, we're, we're a good program and, you know, designed to No, this, this is all about football and winning on the field. You know, this this is a, a very clear move towards that that end. Um, you know, Auburn. I, I think just given the struggles that they've had in that department, the the ups and downs. You know, they they, they wanted to get back on track, and this was a move yeah. that was designed to do that. And that was kind of let's let's push the controversies aside. You know, I think Jimmy Sexton kind of got in Hughes Freeze's ear with regards to his social media accounts a little bit uh, there the last couple of weeks for sure. Um, yeah, well. Yeah, Jimmy Sexton got into a lot of people's ears. I would I would look like based on uh, on how some of our colleagues described this search and described this hire, um, which I, I understand. I, I I get all that. I think the last two things I'll note is: Do you remember uh, on what grounds the Auburn family tried to force Brian Harson out of his job last year? Well, not not unlike uh, Hugh Freeze, kind of got exited there with with Auburn or with Old Miss, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. the The idea of potential infidelity being just too much for this fan base to possibly bear. Uh, of course, that didn't even happen. And then you bring in this guy. Like I, I can't imagine what 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 Harson's wife feels like after seeing any of this. Um, yeah, it's it's I I I profoundly and deeply hate it. Um, and I understand that if, you know, he makes the Peach Bowl and beats Alabama, you know, two out of four times over the next four years, that, that people are going to feel vindicated. Um, well, that, I, that, the, that's the other yeah. thing that I, I think we, we, we should touch on before, before we move on just a little bit is like the, the pressure to, to win and, and win quickly for Hugh Freeze is, is going to be there because this is a place that simply does not tolerate, you know, multiple down seasons. So like you, you mentioned some of those on the field flaws that, that Hugh Freeze has had. 
both at Liberty and at Ole Miss. Well, you know what? In, in an even more jam-packed pressure environment um, that, that Auburn is going to be at, and, and especially in the SEC nowadays with Texas and Oklahoma coming in and, and, and the added pressures of having to make that 12-team playoff in the future, you know, it, it's going to be very interesting to see what the tolerance level is there on the Plains. Uh, yeah, I mean, there certainly is going to be a lot of money tied up, tied up into it, but I, I don't have to like it. Uh, Auburn, uh, in case you're wondering here for next year, uh, the out of conference schedule is not quite as intimidating as it was maybe this year. They host UMass play at Cal, who is kind of a train wreck in a, a different kind of way, and then host Samford and, uh, New Mexico State. Um, these, oh, he the can potentially, the he potentially, can there you go. I, oh, the, well, how funny! How freaking funny would it be if New well, Mexico we might State have to, won again? We might have to send you down to Auburn uh, to go cover the the Jerry Kill Revenge I game. There, I would, I would love to go. I was um, not welcome at Liberty before, and if I go cover a Hugh Freeze Auburn game, I promise I will wear a suit. I will be respectful. Um, li- li- I'll, I'll just close with this. Friends, I know how to file a freedom of information request for Auburn. Uh, I know that you got to have, be, have be an in-state resident in Alabama to file those, but um, we have burners out there. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll just say that I'm, I'm going to be paying close attention uh, as well. I'm sure my, my old friend Stephen Godfrey and many of my other reporter colleagues will be will be uh, giving the, the, the coverage to this program that uh, I believe Freeze said in his presser today that he covets. Yes, we know you covet things, Mr. Freeze. Um, speaking of uh, wanting things, let's talk quickly about our uh, our sponsor here, Home Field Apparel, who, uh, unlike the guy that I just uh, just yelled at here for the last 15 minutes, Home Field Apparel actually does live up to those beautiful family values here. They make clothes that are comfortable. They make clothes that are fun conversation pieces that uh, bring in the, the unique uh, historical logos of your alma mater or uh, schools that you want to pretend that you went to that that you didn't. Um, they've recently released Harvard and Yale. I didn't go to either of those schools. I'm going to go visit Yale this weekend, but I definitely didn't didn't go there. But I could buy a handsome Dan shirt and pretend that I did until you open my mouth and people realize, yeah, there's no way that guy went to Yale. But if you're willing to shut up, <laughs> Homefield can help uh, help you pretend that you went to an Ivy League institution or a bunch of other places. I'm wearing a Boise State shirt today. That is an old-timey cartoon horse uh, that's rushing for a first down. Uh, you would be wearing home field stuff if you weren't wearing your Team USA jersey, which I think is understandable. Right I, now. I had a home field sweatshirt on uh, earlier, and 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 believe me, I'm, I'm more than a supporter after the, how much I spent on the Black Friday sale. So uh, don't don't worry, don't take it from me. I got plenty <laughs> on the way uh, that, that can restock us for future editions of, of the Going for Two Pod. There's going, there's going, there, there were some Christmas, there was some Christmas shopping done at homefieldapparel.com. Uh, so the Black Friday sale is not in existence anymore, unfortunately, but because uh, with it not being Black Friday anymore, but our promo code still works. You can save 15% off your first order by using promo code extra points. Um, they don't just sell shirts, uh, although they, they, they sell sweaters, they sell hoodies, they sell it, just it, disgustingly comfortable uh, joggers. Easily um, the best if, pair if of If they had them in stock, you know, I, I think that's that's the greatest uh, compliment to how good those joggers are is, is they're never in stock. And, and so if, if you see them out there, make sure you use the promo code and, and yeah. get yourself some joggers because they are they are tr- so tremendously e- comfortable. Even the ones that don't have the depressed cartoon dog on them. Even well, just I think the there's, there's, uh, there's uh, what there's a St. Peter's one. They got, yeah. uh, they got the core collection, which is in different colors. I think there's a Tulane one, if memory serves. I, I, yeah, they're, they're, yeah. The Colts have one, so it's like there. There's some options too, but uh, you got to get them when they're in stock. That that is the, that is going to be the tricky part. 
that's right. Homefieldapparel.com. Please buy some things so you can continue to support not just a great company that's like our friend and makes stuff that we legitimately like, but then also keep the show going. Uh, there's one other school that I would like to quickly talk about with you that is not going to inspire a deeply visceral anger from me. Uh, I, I look this. This is a situation that I look at more not as a curiosity, but it, it's certainly a, a very unique place, and where I think there's been a little bit of um, miscommunication about the challenges there. I want, I want to talk about Stanford. Uh, that that uh, the David Shaw recently announced. Uh, uh, four o'clock in the morning, Eastern time, three o'clock God's time zone after the BYU game that he was going to be stepping down. The school is looking for replacement right now. And th- this is this is a weird, unique kind of institution because on one hand, uh, if you, if, not even just looking at the endowment, but looking at what Stanford has been willing to spend money on when they spend money on things, they got, the, the, the resources are not the issue. Like David Shaw made at one time more than anybody else in the Pac-12. Um, the, 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 the assistants have, 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 have received a, enough money to live near Stanford, which is a challenging thing given how expensive the place is. Um, and it's a place where people have won before, you know, what David Shaw, you know, nearly had Stanford in national championship games and, and competing for Heisman trophies and, and at a very high level for, for, for several years, Stanford, Oregon was like the show in town for, for a, a little bit during, during this era, right? Intellectual brutality and party in the backfield. And it was, it was this cool thing. Um, you also have a school that is notoriously extremely difficult to get into. Um, notoriously difficult to accept transfer. Like the Stanford, the school only accepts like three dozen transfers, period. None of whom were football players, uh, which is very difficult in roster management now. And I think that there was some conventional wisdom through uh, a couple of other outlets that Stanford is uniquely uh, disadvantaged because of not just the portal, but because of NIL. There's no Stanford NIL collective right now. The uh, athletic department has not been super aggressive about building or promoting or going after those opportunities. Um, I don't want to meet, launch into this into another monologue here completely. <laughs> I'll give you a chance to talk, but I'll just say like I don't think that that's a entirely accurate depiction of not just like Stanford's troubles, but even like Stanford's approach to NIL necessarily. Would you well, agree? It, it, it's a unique school. You know, yeah. like let's make sure we, we put that up front. Like this yeah. is a very unique school in terms of the values, in terms of what they think about athletics. You know, it, it is just going to be different. You know, you look, speaking of Hugh Freeze and, and that press conference, you know, behind the background that he had today was all about, you know, they they had the uh, Auburn Collective up there as one of the logos uh, next to the yeah. school logo. Stanford, that is not going to happen. You know, like, like I think the, yes, there, there are a ton of, you know, opportunities. Let's face it, there are a ton of rich alumni, you know, of, of Stanford that would happy, happily probably give to NIL. But in terms of the organization, in terms of things happening, um, it just has not been there relative to their peers. You know, that that has not necessarily held them back or prevented them from doing anything. But the the level of organization that they need to kind of start competing at the level that some of their peers like USC or UCLA or or others in the Pac-12 even, um, you know, right now, it, it's just not there. And, yeah. and that's not necessarily a school thing, but it is more of a Stanford thing. And and I think there is at least some some recognition that with this move, with bringing in a new head coach in, Things are going to change a little bit, you know. I think that was certainly a, a sense of frustration, you know, internally uh, in, in the program that you know we're we're kind of playing by different rules here. And what that that's part of the limitations there at Stanford. It always has been, you know. I, I think David Shaw, one of the, the biggest opponents to the early signing period, why he knew because just the admissions process was was going to be yeah. difficult to get people into the school, you know. But at at the same time, 
kind of got to change with the times. And you know what? Yeah. Slowly but surely, they started allowing more spring additions. You know, like you, you used to never have guys enroll early at, at, and go through spring practice at Stanford. You know, they've, they've had a couple of guys these last couple of years. Transfers, another uh, topic that you've talked about. You know, they really just did not get any guys transferring in. More transfer out, which, you know, more difficult to replace, especially when you had some of the stricter signing uh, limits that they had. You know, it, yep. it was just roster management was difficult there. And so I think, you know, there is at least some acknowledgement at the higher levels of the school that things are going to have to change, you know, if, if, if they want to be competitive. And and I, I think, frankly, just seeing their, their place in the athletics ecosystem, something that Stanford prides themselves so much. They've lost the... Um, Learfield Directors Cup two years in a row, like that's that's concerning on campus. I can I can tell you that much, and 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 then just seeing them kind of being passed by. You know, you look at the the latest round of conference realignment and how Stanford was was not much of a factor in, in a lot of that. Yes, you know, some school presidents might want to associate themselves with Stanford the University, but in terms of the actual um, you know athletic programs, they they didn't bring home a whole lot of value. That uh, say say a Big Ten said, you know, what, we have to have Stanford in and bring them in, and yep. and, I, and I think that uh, was a bit eye opening for for a lot of others as well. So. It's going to be an interesting coaching search. I think David Shaw, um, you know, give him give him credit. You know, he 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 acknowledged it. You know, like there there was certainly yeah. some talk these last couple of weeks that you know maybe there maybe there would be a change. Uh, nobody was going to force him out. This was truly his his own decision. And uh, you know the fact that he came about it, and um, I'm, I'm sure he'll go off to uh, be be a fantastic TV analyst if he doesn't want to jump to uh, you know a role as a position coach or or a coordinator at the NFL level. But um, you know he he's one of the stand up coaches I think in the game. Um, you're really highly respected by pretty much everybody. No Nobody has a bad word to say about David Shaw, and um, it, it's going to be a very fascinating reflection moment uh, for for the Cardinal program itself. You you're absolutely right in that a lot of people love this guy. Um, his was ex players within the coaching industry, even with within other administrators. If you wanted to be in college, I think it would not be difficult to find somebody that wanted to work with him. Um, the transfer situation, like you like you had just eloquently pointed out, a big deal. It is one that the university is making some changes to be a little bit more flexible moving forward. I want to say that the university just accepted their first athletic like transfers like period. They were like golfers. Uh, or, well, or they, they had yeah. uh, a couple of years ago, I know they had uh, a quarterback from Air Force that, that came in with, with some initial. The, the problem with Stanford is, is truly, you know, sometimes, you, you know, a lot of times at, at some schools, you know, you're, you're graduate, you can move right into a graduate program. That's not oh, the case at no, Stanford. It's, it's, no, it's, you have issues I mean. yeah. moving graduate. out. You have yeah. guys coming in that, that have, have difficulty coming in, uh, finding a major just in terms of the academics that you have to have to qualify to get into the school as a transfer. Um, you know, like there, there are a lot of, you know, things, you know, I, I was talking with somebody about, you know, initial eligibility standards on, on something unrelated. And, and that just kind of brought up connecting with this thing, you know, like the, a lot of these schools, you know, that, yeah, they might be dropping some test test requirements and all that, but you know, you, you got to have a certain number of English credits and all that. And uh, it's just a little bit, the, the bar is a little bit higher there at, at a place like Stanford. And um, we, we've seen that at other places. You look right across the Bay, Cal struggling with some of the same issues. And that's just really more inherent to their institutions. You got to, got to remember these, yeah. these athletic departments are reflective of that larger university. And um, you know what? That's that's coming into play here with with, with the Cardinal and, and their struggles recently. Even all of that being said, and with this team not really being terribly good over the last couple of years, last year, 2022, Stanford sides the second best recruiting class in the Pac-12. Seven blue chip players. Uh, 2021, uh, Stanford uh, str- struggled a little bit more that year, but, but still signed two, was still middle of the pack. Um, COVID kind of messed things up there a little bit, but even when, even when they were bad, um, you know, leaning back here, they were still generally recruiting in the top four. 
Um, well, the, the pitch is still the same, right? You get a Stanford degree and you get to play at the highest level in the, in the, in the power five, you know, in the, in the pack 12. So, uh, you know, that, that has not changed. And that no. is the, kind of the reason that they've had so much success. Yes. It takes a, a different type of guy. It takes somebody special to kind of get into school there, go through the admissions process, commit early enough to where you can kind of go through that route and, and, and stick with it. Because, you know, I think that's the other thing that you got to keep in mind that, you know, when, when we talk about handing out offers for, for a lot of these schools, Stanford coaches have been far more restrictive in terms of actually what they can do and who they can go after. It's just a shallower pool, even compared to, say, a Northwestern or a Vanderbilt. It's just an even more limited pool that they have to kind of draw from for talent. And if they're in if somebody's in that pool and they're a very good football player, chances are they're going to be attractive to the message that Stanford is selling. So that there's, you know, the the recruiting wise, they've still been able to do pretty well. It's just all all about translating that on the field that that I think, um, you know what, there's some issues and we can get into some of them in terms of the the, the flaws. But um, yeah, I think it's it's something that Stanford itself, you know, still a lot to sell in, in terms of the recruiting initially out of high school. And and that is like I think the last thing that I, I kind of want to point out here because the the conventional take is like well they're not serious about NIL therefore they're not going to be able to adequately obtain talent and be competitive in this in this new world right so when we talk about being committed to NIL you know any of us here I, I would I would again caution us to say let's try to be a little bit more specific about what about what we mean because if we're saying Stanford is not committed to um, facilitating deals through boosters or through some friendly organization to provide substantial flat guarantees for incoming freshmen. Um, yeah, that's that's probably true. I would add that quite, I mean, again, there's a lot of schools that aren't doing that super aggressively because they are concerned about whether that's sound business practice, but it's true that Stanford's not doing that. And they've never really been the same bagman game that other elite programs in the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or the ACC were. And they're, part of the reason they're not is for exactly the reason that you just you just put down there. Of the top 300 recruits in the country, there might only be 40 that could, or if, if that, that could be- That seems uh, high. That seems high talking with some people. In, uh, yeah, maybe in the top 300, maybe, maybe 25 that that could be a potentially on Stanford's board. You can't just bribe all of those dudes. Like you, you're, 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 you're literally fishing in a very different pool. And if we're being honest, some of the guys that-, that uh, that Stanford would be looking at are likely to have come from money um, or are, are going to be looking at NIL or Bagman situations a little bit differently. And to your exact point, and I've, I've seen the pitch deck that some Stanford assistants have used before, they can say, look, regardless of what someone's going to put in the McDonald's bag for you, or excuse me, the Chick-fil-A bag, that's the correct nomenclature yeah, yeah. now, right? Or regardless of whatever some fan collective is offering for autographs, um, if you don't make the NFL – by virtue of now being part of being in Silicon Valley and being part of the the, the richest alumni network and most and, and most expansive alumni network within FBS, you're going to make more money. And if you understand compound interest, yes, you will lose out a little bit because you don't get that same financial down payment, but you're going to make it up down the line. And that pitch is true, um, especially now, uh, given where Stanford grads are working and, and, and dominating in, in different parts of, of, of the country and the ridiculous amount of money that's in that's near campus. To the point where like the, the joke is Stanford doesn't have any sidewalk fans because the sidewalk costs six hundred thousand dollars to stand on. Like this is this is a it, it's a different world. So if that's the pitch, they're still going to win. They don't need to play the same the, the same game that Texas A&M is playing. 
they're going after a different kind of recruit and they're a different kind of institution. And I'm not, that's not a value judgment about what AM is allegedly doing or Tennessee or some of these other places. But if you are a recruiting analyst, I don't think you can, you can compare the two things. If you wanted to make that comparison, I would say it's Cal that screwed way more than Stanford is, uh, albeit for different reasons. So this, this is a pet peeve. I don't even want to say that Stanford as an institution is not committed to NIL. Stanford has one of the highest earning women basketball players in the country uh, through through NIL. They have Olympic sport athletes that are doing well. I've, I've talked to a, a, so I've talked with some of their Olympic athletes over the last couple of months who are, who are looking at deals. It's not like Stanford has not given them the information that they need to go out and do some of this stuff. You might not have the time or the interest in chasing a thousand dollar deal if you're a swimmer if you've got to pass business calculus at Stanford, and you may not care because you're already rich and you're going to be rich when you graduate. But I don't think it's fair to say this school's not committed to NIL. There are some low major schools right now where I would agree. Like they're not giving people any information. They're not trying to help people get deals. They don't think that applies to them. That's a fair critique. To say, if you if you want to say, hey, the school doesn't have a collective that's handing out salaries, then just say that, and which is fair. And that's a different thing. That's not something that Stanford's going to have now. Stanford has never really had that. Yeah, and um, I mean, yeah. you look at Stanford in, in those other sports, as, as you mentioned, they, they have high earners in, in basketball. And look, you know, Tiger Woods is, is still going to show up on the sidelines, you know, like there, there's there's a lot of support for Stanford athletics. And and some of that will, you know, certainly trickle down into, you know, the football field. But like, you know, I, I was just reading uh, Lance Leipold's uh, new contract at Kansas. Included in there is, is a clause about the, you know, the university making good faith efforts towards NIL. That's probably not something that is, is necessarily going to be requ- wanted or required from the next coach you know, at Stanford. It's just it's just a unique institution. And a lot of people actually value that a lot more, you know, especially given yeah. this day and age and everything that is going on in, in college athletics. So um, it's kind of more power to to Stanford. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see um, you know, where Bernard Muir goes with the search, you know, and, and yeah. what uh, ultimately he values. But, um, you know, I think it was uh, as we look back on the, the kind of David Shaw tenure, the, the ending, uh, definitely a bit of a thud there and and, and a disappointment. Surely, I, I think if, if they'd had a, a decent season and they were going to a bowl game and whatnot, I, I think David Shaw probably still the coach uh, there they're on the farm. But you know what? Too. Just the way things have, have trended, um, you know, the institutional challenges, yeah, it was time for a fresh look. And uh, I, I think you cannot take away that run that they had a couple of years ago when when they're winning, you know, Rose Bowls and, and they're winning Pac-12 titles, getting within, you know, you know yards and inches of, of, of actually competing for a national title uh, when, when it was a lot more difficult. Um, um, you know, like that, that's not necessarily a place that Stanford had, had ever been before. And uh, you got to give credit to David Shaw, to that administration for for taking them there and uh, operating at, at a high level for such a long time. I mean, I, I, I truly going back in you know, at, at my early days, you know, when, when covering some of those Stanford teams that were truly, truly dreadful. Now, before Jim Harbaugh took over, uh, yeah. you know, like the, the, this was was one of the worst Power Five teams, um, you know, that, that you're gonna you're gonna find, and uh, they, they've they've made it, you know, a, very much a consistent winner uh, up until the last couple of years. So you got to give them credit for that. But uh, again, it's just a different set of priorities, and I think that's kind of reinforces what happens across college athletics. Some schools value football a lot more than say basketball, and sometimes it's the opposite way around. And uh, you know, at Stanford's just a, a very unique test case. And, I think the more interesting thing, 
excuse me, the more interesting thing is just kind of comparing them uh, across the across the bay there with, with Cal because you know what the UC system has even more you know kind of restrictions and stuff. So uh, with Justin Wilcox, you know I, I know they've struggled. Every, on the everyone's field on strike right now. Like, now's uh, it, not the time to go try to cut another ten million dollar check to the athletic department when all your adjuncts are on strike. Yeah, so there's 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 a lot going on in in, in the Bay Area when it comes to athletics, and, and I think you know it, it is it is disappointing. I think for there are a lot of diehard Stanford fans. I know it seems kind of crazy to kind of think that when when you look at the attendance there, but you know there there are a lot of folks that that really you know support the Cardinal athletics and and, and really hope that they do well on the field. And uh, I, I know they're they're a little bit bummed at, at seeing the, this move because they, they know what uh, you know kind of a, the, the fine outstanding gentleman that uh, David Shaw has been, uh, and, and really a, an alum that has helped shepherd that program to heights. It, it really hasn't seen uh seeing this juxtaposed to maybe some hiring decisions today is definitely some kind of commentary yep. uh, on college sports uh, definitely a different school different does not always mean bad different is is part of what makes this world interesting what we try to highlight um, i'm going to try to spend some time looking at different this week we are recording this show here on tuesday evening uh, i'm hitting the road again on thursday morning i'm flying out to jfk i'm driving up to connecticut I'm spending a couple of days in New England. I'm going to go visit Sacred Heart. I'm going to go tour their hockey facility and learn uh, uh, what's going on at that school. I'm going to go spend some time at Yale. I'm going to go spend some time at Fairfield, who's opening up a new arena. Fairfield, the alma mater of, of course, the starting goalkeeper of the United States men's national team, right. who, who uh, I understand played very well today. Um, hey, back-to-back shutouts for the first time since 1930. That's uh, Mr. Mr. Arsenal himself, Matt Turner. That, that's right. That's that's right. Who like walked on? If if I recall correctly, he, he, was he not, very, was not very much had to dude. be convinced. Very much had to keep, be convinced. Uh, and, and really, when you talk about soccer ecosystem, we we could probably get in that into that for another show. But yeah, uh, another a show. late bloomer uh, for sure. But he, <laughs> he's made the most of it. His his distribution. You know, it, it's funny. Uh, you know, being an Arsenal fan, that that's a big thing about playing out from the back. You, you kind of saw that in, in the build up to the goal today. So you know what? Kudos to Matt Turner. Kudos to the men's national team that they're moving on. Uh, you know, and and uh, we'll 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 uh, be hating on the Netherlands for. for for the next uh, couple of weeks, as, as much as I love the country and love going there, you know what? They're 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 the enemy uh, for the next couple of weeks. We're going to see just how many Americans picked up their entire understanding of Dutch culture from the third Austin Powers movie, <laughs> and I, I think it's going to be a distressingly large amount. Uh, I will also then be hating whoever Brazil is playing, um, and which I guess is probably going to be Ghana or Uruguay in the in the, in the opening match. Uh, lo- love both of those countries except for when they're playing. Um, the team that hopefully wins the entire the entire thing. Um, so I'll be there in Connecticut for a couple of days. Uh, there'll be a couple of stories. And then uh, Brian and I next week will be going to Vegas for the, the big SBJ event. So there'll be lots of stuff, not just on Extra Points, but on Collegiate Sports Connect, where both of us, uh, mostly Brian, are, are, are interviewing industry voices, um, uh, both within athletic departments and outside and getting their insights about the big issues shaping college sports. Collegiate Sports Connect is free. This podcast is free Half of Extra Points is free. You can afford us find Extra Points at extrapointsmb.com. Uh, you want to support what we're doing, a paid subscription. You get everything. is wonderful. And if you have ideas about this podcast, about future Extra Points newsletters, if you have a news tip that you want to pass along, uh, we do have a new tip line in honor of, of Mr. Hugh Freeze. If you have information that you would like to share, please send it to compliance at extrapointsmb.com. That is live. I have appreciated the requests for me to send out Freedom of, Asia, Freedom of Information Acts, uh, which I have already done. Again, the tip line, if you have information that you'd like to share, compliance at extrapointsmb.com. Um, did I get everything? 
think I think I, I got everything. I think, I think that sounds about right. And uh, we'll keep up with the latest news on on the on the D one ticker because it is going to be coming fast and furious as we kind of get into that time of year. We we got coaching searches going on. We got NCAA championships rolling around. I mean, it's 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 a fun time on the calendar, and we are certainly staying uh, quite busy uh, as a result of that. We certainly are. Uh, stay tuned here for, for more on this show and more across all the places we produce content to actually make some money. Thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, I, my apologies if I my credentials at Auburn have since been revoked. Uh, we will catch up with you next time.